good to see you this morning. Thank you, Brother Nathan, for that reading, John chapter 18, and I'm just going to skip the introductions and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to know you through the rest of the week, but John chapter 18, if you think about what Jesus is confronted with, he's put on a mock trial after mock trial after mock trial uh, through this night that he is arrested and the suffering of the Savior begins. And he actually gets to have this conversation with Pilate. And, and we have to understand the authority that Pilate has is essentially Jesus' freedom rests in the hands of this man, Pilate. And Jesus could appease Pilate and, and play to his ego and his authority as a ruler in that region in the Roman Empire. But Jesus spoke the truth. And I want you to look at this conversation here in verse 37. The Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Now, why is it that Pilate is asking this question? He's asking it in a rhetorical sense of, Do you really think you have the ability to come against me and my rule and my authority and against this empire that's dominating the known world at the time and you claim to be a king and have a kingdom? Where are they at? And if you're really a king, where are your soldiers that would fight and defend you because if Pilate had been arrested guess what he had soldiers who would fight on his behalf to defend him and the Roman Empire and his kingdom at that time and he's saying where are your servants if you're really a king now notice what Jesus says Jesus answered thou sayest that I'm a king to this end was I born and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. You see, Jesus understood perfectly well who he was. Jesus understood the mission that laid before him. Jesus understood the authority that he had, whether Pilate acknowledged it, whether anyone else submitted to it or not. Jesus knew who he was. And notice what Jesus said. He said, I came to bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault. Now we have a real crisis on our hands in our country because of this very question of truth. What is truth? Is there truth? Can anything be identifiable as truth? You know, that's not a new question. Pilate asked it here of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago. What is truth? You know, Pilate wasn't asking that sincerely. He wasn't asking, hoping that Jesus would impart unto him some great spiritual truth that would convert Pilate into this thinking to become a child of God. But Pilate is asking it essentially mockingly. You are not in a position, Jesus, <laughs> to dictate what truth is. For in this situation, Jesus, you have no power. You see, but you and I today understood and understand the power that Jesus has. Because we live following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we understand the fact that Jesus could have ended this trial. He could have ended his suffering. He could have done anything that he wanted to do because he had all authority whether Pilate acknowledged it or not. Brethren, I think over the last year, year and a half, some of us 
have had an identity crisis and we have forgotten who our Lord is. And I'm not here today to tell you that I've made every right decision. I haven't. But I think we can evaluate over the last year to 18 months in our country, in our churches, even in our own walk with Christ, we have struggled with this idea of knowing and understanding who we are. I want you to be reminded this morning that in Daniel chapter 2, the prophet Daniel gave a prophecy to the ruler of Babylon and said that in the days of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven was going to set up a kingdom in verse 44 that would never be destroyed. Brethren, if you're a child of God, you're a part of an everlasting kingdom that's never going to be destroyed. Have we forgotten who we serve? Have we forgotten the promises of God? Have we forgotten the authority of Jesus Christ? Because if we have, then we don't even know who we are anymore. And this idea of identity is very fundamental to the way that we live our lives. Jesus lived the way he did because he was secure and he knew who he was. You know why we struggle sometimes in this life? It's because we forget who God has called us to be. And in doing that, we forget who he is. You see, Jesus' authority is the same today as it was when he stood in Pilate's hall. (laughs) His power and the power of the gospel of Christ hasn't changed from the first time that it was preached in Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people obeyed that gospel and were baptized into Jesus Christ. That gospel has the same power today. I want to tell you that's the truth. And because we know that truth, guess what we can do? We can live and serve and worship that Jesus who delivered us from sin. What is truth? Now, I want you to think about that question for a second because our world says this. Live your truth. Your power lies in your truth. Now, these things are empowering statements that our culture really embraces, don't they? We see it on bumper stickers. We see it um, on our Facebook pages. We see it on social media. We, we put those things in front of our eyes so that we can be motivated and, and say that we're empowered to be who it is we want to be. And this morning, you have all right to live and do whatever you want to do. I want to tell you that. And that's true in Pampa, Texas. That's true in San Benito, Texas. That's true in Dallas. Everywhere we go, people have the right to live and do whatever they want to do. But rest assured, if you make decisions living and doing the things that you want to do, don't expect God to forgive you and save you on the day of judgment. (laughs) Because there's a truth that you have to live by if you want to spend eternity with him. And that truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at this idea of relativism. So when we think about truth, there's a couple of different avenues in which we can go. One is this idea of relativism. Is that every one of us, guess what, can have our own truth which coincides with what the world tells us. Live your truth. And whatever's true and right for you doesn't necessarily have to be true and right for me. And you know what you need to do? If you really are a loving and a good person, then you ought to tolerate my truth. 
and not only tolerate it, but you can't teach or say anything that would go against something that I have identified as my truth. And I won't say and do anything against your truth. And we just cohabitate and we go along and get along in this world. Have you seen that idea? I think it's something we're all very familiar with. But I want you to look and understand something else. We're going to have all the problems this morning. It's on here. There we go. I got it. I got it. All right. If it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong today. It's okay. Not not a worry. Now, this sounds all well and good. And and this sounds like, man, everybody just needs to mind their own business and not really speak against anything that I want to do and I won't do the that for you and you know, we'll get along. But then there's another thought. It's this idea that truth resides outside of any individual. Okay? And you're maybe wondering, you know, why is this important? Here's why. If truth is relative, do you know who gets to dictate what's right and wrong? Think about that for a moment. If truth is relative, you're still going to have to have some authority regulate and tell us what's right and wrong. And you know who that is if truth is relative? It's whoever has the power. Think about that for a second. Connect the dots. In Pilate's time with Jesus, you know what Pilate believed? Truth is relative. Jesus, you can teach your ragtag bunch of people to, to do whatever you want them to do, but you know what? We have our own truth. And you know what? Our truth trumps your truth. You know why? Because I'm in authority. And it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. I'm going to dictate to the people that live within my realm what truth is. And brethren, we're blind and naive if we don't acknowledge Satan working today. Because I want to tell you, those in power and authority, they have an agenda to change and regulate truth. You know how we know that? We look at their work and their deeds. You know what Jesus said about truth in John chapter 17? He says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. You know what that means? What's true and right is true and right regardless of how Chase Palmer feels about it. <laughs> What's right and true is true and right 20 years from now as it was 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 300, 2,000 years ago because God's word never changes. And we are grooming and training and bringing up young people into a culture and a society that I want to tell you, I didn't think would be that different from what I was brought up in, but I sound like an old man because it's a different world today. I fully acknowledge that my children face challenges and battles that I really didn't even have to think about because the attack on truth is now being brought to fruition and we're seeing the consequences of it. You have to make a decision of what truth is. 
And if you think truth lies within yourself, then you're going to allow everyone else to have their own truth. And you know what? You're going to be subject to whatever power is in authority over you to dictate to you what is true and right and holy. But if there is objective truth, then we acknowledge truth exists independent of our opinions and our thoughts. This is why that is so pivotal in what we're seeing today. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For he, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly what? perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse I've read this passage hundreds if not thousands of times and when I read this passage it always hits me you know what God punishes unrighteousness and I think about morality I think about behavior and I think about you know what if you choose to live and participate in sin God has his wrath that one day will be revealed against you and you will stand in the judgment and you'll be found lacking and God's wrath will be poured out upon you. And I've read this passage and applied it that way and I think that's accurate and I think that's correct and right, but there's something else I've missed until about a year ago. In identifying and thinking about all that we've been through in our country with one single virus, one virus and look at how our lives have been forever changed I know I used to say well we're going to get back to normal brethren welcome to normal because I want you to know this is the reality we're in and it's unfortunate but you know to think that we're going to go back to a time where this wasn't impacting our life I want to tell you it's not going to happen and when I started studying and thinking about this idea of identity within the Christian, this is when this verse really struck me of what I had missed for years. Because this doesn't just talk about immorality and unrighteous behavior. But it actually hits to a much more, I guess, invasive problem. Look at what it says. who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Think about that for a second. Suppressing the truth of what's clearly revealed about and from God. We think about our culture rebelling against God's will and when we think about that here's the thoughts we think of fornication we think of drunkenness we think of all sorts of other immoral behavior but you know Satan's crafty isn't he Satan's not just about the behavior Satan is after the same thing that Jesus is after he's after the heart of man because Satan knows that if he can get his will into our hearts guess what we're going to do? 
We're going to perform the deeds of this flesh and give in to what this flesh wants, which keeps us separated from God. And he accomplishes that by the suppression of the truth. Now think about how this truth is revealed. What's Romans 1 say? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been what? Clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The things that God created in the very beginning spoke of what? Of an eternal truth. And when God created something, he created it for that eternal purpose and reason. And we say, well, what is it that's under attack? What is one of the fundamental things regarding man and his creation that God tells us early on in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Let's read it. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now follow my logic here. We're not dealing with simply sexual immorality and fornication and homosexuality. We're dealing with an attack on objective, observable, biological truth, which God created. I want you to understand this is not a message of hate toward those who suffer with what is called gender dysphoria. This is not to mock and ridicule anyone really struggling and dealing with that, but I want you to understand this reality. You see, gender dysphoria is actually a diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses, version five, and about one-tenth of one percent of our population would be identified and diagnosed with that issue of gender dysphoria. But whenever we suppress the truth that there is male and female and that we allow the creation then to choose and dictate what we want to be, male, female, any other of the options that are now available to our culture and that reality, here's the problem. We strip God of his authority and what he made. And if we can strip the truth from his authority from the very beginning of what he made, then no longer can he tell me I can't be an alcoholic. No more can he tell me that I can't do drugs. No more can he tell me I can't beat my wife. No more can he tell me that I can't go out and fornicate and live any way that I want to. Because the very first fundamental truth that God created about his creation was what's being attacked. Because guess what we're going to see in the next five to 10 years as far as diagnoses or people that are identified with gender dysphoria. We're going to look at five to 10% of our total population. And then I want you to look within that population, the other mental illnesses that are going to be attributed to that and also the suicide rates and all the realities of that confusion when it's imparted upon a child at a very young age. 
I want you to see, Satan knows what he's doing. And we can hide our head in the sand and we can act like this isn't happening. Or you know what we can do? We can speak the truth. I want to tell you, Jesus loved people. But notice what Jesus said about those that heard his voice. Guess what? They heard the truth. We have to be people of truth. We have to be able to objectively identify the reality because what we're seeing is we want to reform reality. You know why virtual reality is so popular? It's not because it's just a fun escape temporarily. It's because some people want to rebel and they have no desire to live in the reality in which God has created. And what we have done is we have allowed every one of us to create our own reality. And if I'm living in my reality, you can't dictate and tell me that anything about that is wrong, nor can I tell anyone else, except unless I'm the one in power, then I can dictate what reality is for everyone else. I want to tell you, this is important. Because <laughs> it's an attack on God's truth. I've worked with individuals who are identified having gender dysphoria. And I understand the therapies and all the things that the world says will answer that question. I want to tell you what people need to hear is, you know what? There's male and there's female. It's what God made. And as long as we allow the question to be asked and we placate to that idea, the truth is going to continue to be suppressed. And I want to tell you, that's what's opening the door for Satan to gain a foothold. And the problem is we've forgotten who we are. How can we go and convince and convert the world when we're having identity crisis about who we are as God's people? I want to tell you, I came to Jesus Christ broken. I came to Jesus Christ in my depth of sin. I came to Jesus Christ understanding that without him, I was nothing. But once you come to Jesus Christ, he takes what's broken and he heals it. He takes what is full of sin and he cleanses it and renews it. And brethren, too often times we want to sit and we want to talk about our brokenness. Brethren, let's talk about the healing of Jesus because that's what the world needs to hear. I'm not perfect. I fully understand that. I have trouble and struggles and I have life that I live every day that you know what? I could sit there and say, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. But instead, I'm going to make a decision and a choice to live in the identity that God has given me through Jesus Christ. Because this life isn't about me at all. It's about him. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Our identity, it's not even about us. But it's about bringing honor and glory to him. Who are you this morning? You see, you have to answer that question. Who are you? Here's a couple of quotes that are very profound, apparently. Aristotle said, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. And we say, wow, that's deep. And I say, why? Well, Aristotle said it. It has to. Oh, well, I guess so. It's deep. <laughs> Aristotle was just a man. And here's the truth. God's word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Are you going to trust Aristotle or are you going to trust the word of God? I'm going to trust the word of God. Here's another one. Jim Valvano. And I may be dating myself. 
Jim Valvano was a very inspirational coach at North Carolina State. They won a national championship uh, when they were not favored to win. They were the greatest underdog story at that time. He battled cancer later in life and gave a very, very inspirational speech about never giving up. But he's attributed with this quote. It says, to find the unlimited scope of human possibility, look within yourself. My point in sharing these things is you've got to see our culture is inundating us with this idea of you, guess what, are the center of all the universe. And if you want to know truth, don't go to God's word and study his eternal truths. Look within yourself. Create your own truth. Create your own reality. Live in that because you'll find joy and peace. The reality is when you live that way, you create more longing and desperation because that need can never really be satisfied or filled. And you substitute every other type of sinful behavior chasing after that fulfillment and you'll never get it. Because God says, find in me your satisfaction. Find in me the one that filleth all and all. But here's our reality. Y'all see that picture? That's a strapping young man. That's a good young Republican right there. That's my oldest son, Josiah. We were at a funeral and that was the attire that we were told to wear. And I just snapped that picture. I said, man, you just look noble. You're just put together. I said, that's a good picture of my son. But you know what I see on social media? I see pictures like this, except I've heard there are things called filters that you can put on perfectly good photos. You know what I've seen on Instagram? I've seen pictures of 40 and 50 year old women that I know (laughs) that I've seen in person But then I see them on Instagram and guess what? Man, there's not a blemish one. I mean, their face shines. And you know what they've done? They put filters on it. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Here's why. Because we want to create a perception of ourselves because we're really not satisfied with what the reality is. So you know what I did with this picture? My kids showed me. I put a few filters on it. And guess what happened to that picture? This is what I got when I put a few filters on that picture. (laughs) Some of y'all say, man, that's much better. (laughs) That's much better. That's a joke. I didn't really do that. But you get the point. Here's what we're doing. We're creating young people that aren't satisfied with this. So guess what? Let's filter that reality and create something that's not even real that then everyone else can validate so that we feel good about ourselves. Young people, guess what? We all had pimples. Guess what? We all made dumb choices with our hair. (laughs) You know what? We grew out of it. Young ladies, your bodies change and you're all different. God made you that way. You're a wonderful creation of God. Worry about pleasing him and less about pleasing the masses who aren't even concerned with truth. All they're concerned with is you promoting an image that they deem acceptable. 
Because if that's all you're caring about and all you're chasing after, again, you're going to forget what it is God called you to be because he called you to be his. And being his ought to be enough. Who am I? You know, Moses asked that question. God spoke to him by the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, telling him the great mission that he had before him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses asked that question of God, who am I? Now, he wasn't saying, I don't know my name. He's saying, who am I to go back to Pharaoh and tell him that you said to let my people go? He said, I'm slow of speech. I'm not capable. I'm not strong enough. I'm not this and I'm not that. You know what God told Moses? Because here's the world's answer. If Moses would have said that to God and we were going to implement the world's answers to this, here's how that conversation would go. Okay, Moses, let's schedule a time for you to come and sit and talk to me and tell me all about your inadequacies. And let's explore that of why you feel you're inadequate so then we can address that so you feel better about yourself so then maybe, just maybe, you'll go do what I'm asking you to do. Maybe, but if not, it's okay, and we can stay in this cycle for years and years and years and never get anywhere, Moses. Because I want to tell you, Moses felt inadequate. Here's the truth. He was. <laughs> he was inadequate. Because you know what God told him? Look at what God said. He said, certainly I will be with you. He said, Moses, it ain't about you. It's about me, and I'm going to be right there, so you just go be my voice. You be my mouthpiece, and I'll use you the way I need to use you to accomplish my will. Brethren, imagine what we could do if we had the willingness to accept what God sees in us and say that that's enough. And when God tells me to go preach the gospel, I don't sit there and say, oh, I can't, I'm not able, I'm not good enough, I don't know. How about we just go do it and see what God can accomplish? How about we think of the perspective of God telling us that we are his children and that he will meet our needs and everything that we could need in this life, he will by his hand provide it if we simply seek his kingdom first. And if we do that by faith, trusting, we might be amazed at the hand of God. So I want to tell you, it's not about you. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be harsh. I hope you understand this hits home. Because I got a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old that are looking out and seeing this entire world and no one happy, no one content, everyone wanting to promote some false image of reality, seeking fulfillment, and everybody's empty and they can't find it. And the reason why is because they will not acknowledge the truth of God. And I tell my children, it doesn't matter what the world thinks, it only matters what God thinks. We please him, we serve him. I gain my validation, I gain my perspective, I gain my happiness and who I am from my creator and no one else. And that's enough. And I'm preaching to the church this morning because these things happen in the church. Please, God. And I want to tell you, God's people 
who have the right perspective, when you please and serve God, you know what? They're going to be your biggest supporters. And they're going to be there when you stumble. They're going to be there when you hit that rough patch and you need healing. They're going to be there to encourage and give you what you need. But it's not about us. John chapter 1 and verse 12, Jesus gives us that identity. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You want to be a son or daughter of God? Or do you want to have a following on this earth? You see, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And if I believe on him, he gives me my identity. And I can be satisfied in that because I don't belong to myself. You don't belong to yourself. And what's happened is we want to play both sides. We want to have that relationship with an eternal God who is holy and righteous and we want him to to save us, but then we still want the selfishness of living any way that we want to live. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it this way. He says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What part of your being doesn't belong to God? Everything does. And I know we talk about he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The money in my bank account is not mine. It's his and I'm just a steward over it. But I want to tell you, he's also the steward over your anger. He's also the steward over your thoughts. He's also, guess what? He's in charge of everything that you choose to do. And he says, you need to be a good steward over those things and make sure that they're in application to my will because you're mine. You know how many times my children have heard me say that? They'll have friends that are going to go do something and they'll ask and I'll say, I really don't think that's a good idea. Well, but Mr. So-and-so said it's okay. I was like, well, guess what? You're not his, you're mine. (laughs) And I have a little more experience, so guess what? I'm going to say no. Our kids need to hear no. Because if all they hear is yes and they get to be the decider of their future and everything that happens with them, then don't be surprised when they do get told no that they don't know how to handle it. And then they just rebel and they say, well, you know what? I've done what I've wanted to all my life. I'm going to continue to do that. I don't care what God says because I don't belong to him. He can't tell me. Have we seen that? In Ephesians chapter 1, this really hit me. You read that first chapter in every verse, there is a phrase or a statement that indicates in him, by him, or through him pertaining to the life of a child of God. You think that's by accident or was he trying to give us a message? Verse three, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, chosen to be holy and blameless in God's sight, predestined us to be adopted as sons of God, freely given grace in the one God loves. We have redemption through his blood. God has shown us the mystery of his will. God is bringing all things together for his glory. We are chosen and predestined by God's plan. Those who hope are to the praise of his glory. We're included when we heard the gospel. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
Notice all of those markers that God is placing within us as his children saying, you belong to a holy and righteous God. You belong to me. And not only is he saying that so that we'll make decisions based upon that will, he's saying that so that we understand our identity and no matter what this world says about it, he has us in his hand. That's why we can say the hard truth when the hard truth needs to be said because there are some things that are definitely different in the life of a child of God. Number one, our desires become heavenly. Are there things in this life that you want to achieve? I want to tell you there's nothing wrong with that as long as they're kept in perspective with fulfilling the will of God. I have a 14, he's almost 15, Joseph, I want to tell you, he's got some talent in certain areas. He can throw a baseball really hard. Really hard. I've caught him. And I'm to the point now when I catch him, I have to put shin guards on and a protective device because he can throw it and you know what by the time he's 17 18 he may be able to throw the ball 85 86 87 miles an hour but you know what if through my home and my training he can throw a baseball 86 87 miles an hour but he can't put together a bible study to teach his friends about jesus if he can't get up and teach a lesson in the Lord's church, if he can't have a conversation with his friends about the salvation that lies within Jesus Christ, what's throwing a baseball 86, 87 miles an hour going to give him in life? If he doesn't know how to be a Christian man and a Christian husband and a Christian father and a leader in the Lord's church. See, my point is, brethren, we understand what it means to train our young people. We've just been training them in the wrong areas. We've been training them to be successful in this world. And all along the way, the Lord's church suffers. And we have unrealized potential. I'm proud of him when he's on that mound and he's pitching his heart out. But you know, I'm more proud when I see him resist sin. I'm happier as a father when I see him opening up his Bible and reading God's word without me having to tell him to do that. Because his desires are being revealed. First John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. This world and all the things we want to achieve and heap accolades upon ourselves, it's, it's all vain. It's all vanity. It's all vexation of spirit. That's what Solomon would say about it. And here we are chasing after those things again. Brethren, if you're a child of God, your desires need to be heavenly. They need to be spiritually focused, spiritually minded on how you're going to have an impact and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ in whatever capacity you can. Secondly, we do not fear the future. And I've seen a lot of fear among God's people in the last year and a half. And I understand that fear. I want to tell you, my wife and I got COVID. 
Then you know what? When I got that diagnosis, I tested positive. I was a little concerned. You know, I had it for about three days, mild case, and then I bounced back and I was fine. But you know, we started watching my wife's oxygen saturation and it's 99 or 100 normally and you see that number get to 95 and the next day it's 92 and the next day it's 90 and the next day it's 88 and we have a wonderful doctor friend of ours in Harlingen who we consider a great friend and he said we may need to hospitalize her but here's what we're going to try. We're going to get her on oxygen. My wife's 35 years old. <laughs> I want to tell you, having four kids and a wife on oxygen who's never had any health issues or problems, or uh, guess what? I was a little afraid. She was afraid. I could see it in her eyes. I didn't know what was going to happen. Thank God she recovered. So I'm not saying we should just not have any emotion. <laughs> but I want to tell you that fear can't paralyze us to where we can't serve God. And that's what we've seen. Romans 8 says it this way, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, when you think about that, what does that tell you? You ought to have security. You ought to have peace. And there's not a virus. There's not a political decision. There's not a school board decision. There's not anything else that should constitute enough fear to keep me from serving God. Because I belong to him. You know what else understanding and being secure in our identity will produce? We stop comparing and judging we stop being so worried about what everybody else is doing and we worry about ourselves serving and pleasing God. Romans 14 and verse 5 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. He that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. <laughs> we get so worried about all these other judgments and all these other situations. And all the while, guess what God's saying? Serve me. Quit comparing yourself to other people. And don't tell me it doesn't happen. My wife has counseled a number of young ladies in the church who have this issue. I've counseled a number of young men who have this problem of looking at their reality and saying, you know what, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as so." And what does that create? It creates insecurity. You want me to give you an example of that? I want you to look at this picture. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, my wife takes great pride in keeping our home, and I'm thankful for it. And she will work till 2 in the morning to make sure her house is clean and tidy for the next day. God bless her. <laughs> and I need to do more and help her with that. But, you know, 
we may see images like this. I want to tell you, when you see an image like that on Instagram, what does that portray? That says, man, that lady has it all together. (laughs) Man, she had time to do latte art. (laughs) She's got the right season represented on her placemat or her welcome mat outside of her front door. She's got all the different colored pumpkins. I think our doormat may stay happy Easter. I don't know. (laughs) Back home still. I don't know. But you think, man, I mean, her shoes, her jeans are rolled just right. The sweat, the, everything's just right. And I want, I want you to understand something about this picture. This lady actually is um, very interesting because she actually exposes these things. And here's how she exposes them. She says, you see that picture and she gets thousands and thousands of likes and follows. And, and people say, oh, wow, your home is so beautiful and your life is so great and grand. She said, here's the reality. She went to an online art app and cut out, clipped that. She had an empty coffee cup. But she clipped that and put that into the cup in the photo to make it look like she had all together and made that cup of latte for herself. She said, then you have to stand at this right angle. I mean, just look. Look at her right hand holding her phone, getting the right angle to look down on the cup and get, she said, coffee, watch, cuff, leaves, mom's, pumpkins, doormat, hashtag cotton stem stance. (laughs) Because that's what I do every morning with my cup of coffee as I go out to my front porch and arch my back and bend my knee to get the right angle so I can show everyone just how wonderful and grand my life is. You know how long it took her to get that photo? Four hours. Four hours. I don't have four hours (laughs) to get a photo. But she did it to expose this idea of reality. That people put that picture out there and all of a sudden everyone that sees it, it can create insecurity in the people that are viewing it. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. It's real. Welcome to our reality. And I know to some people this is just foolish, but I'm telling you, it's what our young people are dealing with. When I have a young man who looks and posts something on Facebook every hour, and every hour all he's looking for is how many people are going to click like on what he posts. And when they don't, he says, well, so-and-so did this and they had a hundred likes. That means people don't care about, they just don't like me. I wanna tell you, it's a real problem. And if we're not careful, our young people think this is their identity. And guess what? At the end of the day, it's not even real. And Jesus says, my reality is real and it's sufficient. But you got to be willing to find it in him. Fourth and final point this morning. When we understand our identity, guess what? We're confident in suffering. Suffering. 
I know some of you in this building this morning have suffered a great deal over the last year. I want to tell you that's not lost. I understand that. It might have been the death of a loved one. The death of a a helper and a meat that you had for many years. I understand that. It may be a strained relationship. It may be fighting and struggling against a sin problem. I want to tell you, this life is full of suffering. But thanks be to God that through that suffering, we still have the promises of God. And through those promises, we can endure. (laughs) Through those promises, we can still live. Through those promises, we can still have a smile on our face and go out and serve God and serve our fellow man and fulfill his will in our life. And this morning, it may not bring you any comfort that I tell you I understand. Then find comfort in knowing Jesus understands. (laughs) And find comfort and confidence in what his will calls us to perform. Romans 8 and 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. After this life of suffering, there's glory waiting. Jesus endured the cross. Should he have done that? Should he have had to do that? No. But he was spat on by his own creation. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. And then ultimately he was crucified all for you. And then after that, he was glorified. Jesus understands. And his spirit is there to bear witness with our spirit and understand that we can endure whatever this life throws at us because we're not living for this life. We're not living for this world. We're living for that eternity. You know why? But the things which are not seen are eternal. You can answer that question this morning whether you're living for eternal things. And if you're not, something needs to change. And it doesn't matter how old or young you are. If you're allowing the world to see more of you and less of Jesus, then something in your identity needs to change and it better change fast. Because the reality is our life should be hidden. All the things Chase can accomplish and Chase can do don't matter. All those things shouldn't dominate my mind. They shouldn't dominate my actions and the things that I do in this life. Those things ought to be hidden. And Christ ought to be seen and magnified in me. And the way that you begin that walk so that you are hidden and Christ is seen is you're buried with your Lord in baptism so that your life, your sin, your failures, guess what happens with all of that? It gets washed away. (laughs) And you have the opportunity for a new life 
The book of Colossians chapter 3 says this in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. See, the great truth is this. When we stand before God on the day of judgment, I don't want God to see me. Because I know if a holy and righteous God sees me, I'm not worthy to be saved. But if a holy and righteous God sees the blood of Jesus, then he sees my salvation. And he sees my forgiveness because he's not seeing me at all, but he's seeing his son. If we want that to be seen on the day of judgment, then we better live lives that that's what we want people to see today. Let this world see Jesus in you. Don't worry about it seeing you. Don't worry about it uh, solving your problem of a low self-esteem. Don't, don't make this life about your problems and your inadequacies. Make it about the glorification of Jesus. Make it about glorifying him in your walk on a daily basis. Make it about glorifying him in your home. Make it about glorifying him in your career path and the things that you're going to do with your time and your talents and your abilities because all of you have them. All of you. And this morning, all of you matter to God. And if you're struggling with sin, you need sin to be forgiven, there's one place to go. That's why we offer the invitation. The invitation is not my invitation. It is not the invitation of this congregation. I believe that this invitation is the invitation from Jesus Christ himself who tells us to come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Do you need peace? Do you need rest? Come to Jesus. Do you need to change some things in your life? Come to Jesus. Do you need to allow Jesus to be seen and observed in your walk and in your life? Come to him. He can make all things new. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, do that. But more than likely, you're a brother or sister who's already done that, but this world has pulled you back. If it has, Jesus will restore. But you have to take the step to come to him. And the elders of this congregation are ready and willing to pray with you, to help you, to assist you, so that you leave here confident in who you are because you know who Christ is.